0: Welcome to Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel. Israel has brought together millions of Jews from across the diaspora in the world's most chaotic family reunion. This podcast is what that really looks like. Though this series is fictional, each person is based on real stories shared with us by real people. So far, Emily has spoken only to Olim, people who have made Aliyah, immigrants to Israel. But Shia was born in Jerusalem. He's lived his entire life in Israel's historic capital, and his community may just be the most misunderstood in the entire country. Shia Silber profoundly regrets opening his mouth. Talking about himself to five strangers? This feels like a mistake. He opens his mouth to say so, but the talkative American beats him to the punch.
1: Before we start, I just want to acknowledge something. Okay. I've never talked to a Hasidic person before. So, um, if I say anything wrong or make a bad assumption or something, call me out, okay? I promise. I'm here to learn.
2: Shaya nods. I appreciate that. So, we can start with a correction already. I'm not Hasidic. A Hasid is a type of religious person. But not all religious people are Hasidim. Understand?
1: Like all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares.
2: Uh, sure.
1: So, what's the best way to refer to your community, if not Hasidic?
2: Shia shrugs. You can say religious, you can say Haredi. Some people say ultra-Orthodox, but I don't like this so much. It sounds, uh, extreme.
1: See, ultra-Orthodox would have been my next guess, so I'm learning already. What was that second one? Ha-something?
2: Haredi. It means, uh... It's like the trembling, trembling before God.
1: I like that. It's kind of poetic. So, you grew up Haridi? Of course. What was that like?
0: Shaya thinks about this. What was it like? How do you answer that question? It's like trying to describe salt without saying it's salty, or trying to describe oxygen. It just is. I don't know if I can describe it. What was your childhood like? Emily frowns. It's obvious she's experiencing the same problem as Shia, but she does a better job than Shia did because, well, she has an answer. One that makes him sad for her.
1: Kind of lonely? I have one brother, but he's a lot older, so I was basically an only child for a lot of it.
2: Shia tries and fails to imagine this. My childhood was the opposite of yours. I have eight brothers and sisters. Eight? Shia nods. This is common in my community. But now that I'm older, I understand we were lucky. Not everyone is blessed like this.
1: Lucky? You never wished you were an only child?
2: Why would I wish for this? You said yourself that it was lonely to be an only child.
1: Yeah, but I mean, eight brothers and sisters is kind of at the other end of the spectrum, you know? Doesn't that get overwhelming? Didn't you get lost?
0: Shia thinks about this, trying to understand what Emily means. When he thinks of his childhood, the primary feeling that comes to mind
2: is... warmth. He tries to explain this to her. Not at all. The opposite. My little brothers and sisters, they looked up to me. And my parents trusted me to help take care of them. I started to walk my brothers to their school when I was six.
1: Wow, six. You were just a kid.
2: Shia shakes his head. I had a purpose already. I was my siblings... I don't know the word... Someone who needs to set a good example.
1: A role model.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: That sounds like a lot of responsibility.
2: Jaya shrugs. If everyone felt they needed to be a role model to someone, the world would be a better place.
1: But what about when you make mistakes? Doesn't everyone need room to make mistakes?
2: Of course. And when I made the mistake, or I wasn't sure, or I needed help, I had so many people to turn to. My older brothers and sisters, my cousins. And we learned to solve our problems on our own. It was... I don't know what the word is. Empowering, maybe? nahi has been nodding fervently at everything
0: Shia has said. It's clear he struck a chord. Yes, exactly.
1: You make it sound really happy, really peaceful.
2: Nothing is perfect. But it was happy. Very happy. You learn to, to think about others from a very young age. You aren't selfish.
1: Do you think kids from small families are selfish?
2: No, I'm just saying it's hard to be selfish when you grow up in a big family. From the start, you have to learn to share, but you also understand that you have importance. You have influence on your brothers and sisters. It gives you confidence.
1: Yeah. I don't think my brother ever really thought about his impact on me. He was busy with his own stuff. Anyway, the grass is always greener, right?
0: Shia frowns. It's clear he's not sure
2: what she means.
1: Oh, like, you always want what you can't have, you know?
2: This is very sad for me to hear. Ezu ashir, asamech bechalkei, Who is rich, the one who is satisfied with what he has.
1: Where is that from, that quote?
2: It's Pirkei Avais. Like, moral lessons from our rabbis,
0: from the Mishnah. The what? Again, Shia racks his brain, trying to find a way to explain
2: the Mishnah. He decides that simple is best. Um, it's part of what we study. It's part of the Talmud. You know what this is?
1: Uh, maybe, sort of. It's not the Torah, but it's very old and important.
2: That's, sure, yes. It's, um, the oral law, like a conversation between rabbis. It tells us about every single part of life. It helps us learn Jewish law. And yes, it's old. Parts of it go back almost 2,000 years, but it was compiled over hundreds of years.
1: Okay, got it. That's cool. So, do you, uh, spend most of your time studying?
2: I hey, not as much as I used to. But now I have less time because of... this. He gestures to his uniform.
1: Right. So, why? Why join? If it's not, um, customary in your community?
2: I wasn't living up to my own expectations. What do you mean? I just told you, who is the rich man? The one who is satisfied with what he has... Well, for a long time, I wasn't exactly satisfied.
0: Chaya wasn't totally sure when it happened. Maybe when he turned 20 and his parents asked if he'd be interested in finding a Shidduch, a match, and getting married. The prospect made him feel woozy. Certainly, like everything, it got much worse when the virus hit, forcing the yeshiva closed, leaving him alone with his unbearable thoughts. He woke up one day and found that he had no idea what he wanted. He just knew it wasn't... this. It wasn't the life he'd been living up until now. He felt itchy from the inside, like like his skin was too tight. The contours of his life squeezing and squeezing with no relief in sight. It had been easy at first to blame his malaise on the virus that seemed intent on ravaging the entire world. But as the months dragged on, as life with corona became the new normal, that restlessness only intensified. Maybe you want to switch yeshivas? Asked his friend Yoel when Shaya confessed shamefully why he'd been so distant and strange. Shaya shook his head. I've thought about that. I don't think that's what it is. This yeshiva, that yeshiva, at the end of the day, I'd still be doing the same thing. Yoel stared at him. You don't want to learn anymore? He asked. Shaya could tell his friend was trying to sound neutral and was failing completely. His eyes were round with shock. It's not that, Chaya said. It's not that I don't want to learn at all. I just want every day to feel... different. And right now, everything feels... the same. Nothing is new. Your sister just got married, Yoel pointed out. That was new. Chaya shrugged. And I'm very happy for her. But that's something new in her life, not mine. Have you talked to Rabbi Goldenbaum? Rabbi Goldenbaum ran Shia and Yol's yeshiva, where they spent most of their time. Shia shook his head. I don't want to bother him, especially after... The rabbi had spent nearly a month in the hospital, struggling to breathe. And though he eventually recovered, Shia had no intention of bothering him, or if he was being honest, disappointing him. When Rabbi Goldenbaum was sick, That's the last time I actually felt useful, Shia said slowly. After Rabbi Goldenbaum entered the hospital, the entire yeshiva sprang into action. Around the clock and across the world, someone was praying for the rabbi, and all his students' learning was dedicated to him. This was the thing Shia loved most about his community. Even in their heartbreak, their shock, their grief, they rallied channeling the rawness of their pain into meaningful action. Shia tried to explain this to Yoel. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? That Corona was one of the most meaningful parts of my life. I felt like I was doing something important. Shia would never say the words, I hate myself. God made people in his image, with intention, But he had no problem admitting that he didn't like himself very much when he thought about how corona had changed him, how he craved the immediate satisfaction of being useful, and how upset he was to find that his everyday life didn't give him that same sense of purpose. How could this be? He believed fully and without reservation that learning was the most important thing a person could do, that it was the oxygen that kept the Jewish people going The light that illuminated their way. And yet, Shia realized he didn't feel it. He didn't feel his own contribution. He felt like a light bulb that had dimmed. And he didn't know what to do to get the light back. To serve his purpose.
1: It's amazing how you talk about studying, praying, all of it.
2: I just told you I felt... Lost. Like I wasn't doing enough.
1: Yeah, the fact that you believe your learning and praying is so important, that's amazing.
2: It is important. It keeps us going. Why do you think we're still here after 2,000 years? Why do you think we haven't disappeared? Only our religion, our Torah, our way of life, our values, our wisdom. It's not a question of do I believe this is important. It is important. It's keeping all of us here.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Your conviction is... amazing.
2: You asked before about my childhood. I didn't know how to say it when you asked, but I can say it now. You have to understand. I grew up already knowing my purpose. From the day I was born, I knew my job is to serve Hashem, God. And that means to learn, to pray, to study, and to be a good person with strong values, to do what He wants. To be a role model to my brothers and sisters, because I'm part of Klal Yisrael, people of Israel. So suddenly, at the age of 20, 21, to not feel the strength of my purpose, to not know how to do the best that I could, I... I felt lost.
1: I get it. Except I didn't grow up already knowing my purpose. And I still don't know it exactly.
0: Nachi, who has been listening intently, speaks. It's a process figuring it out. Everyone goes through it. He gestures broadly to the other passengers, many of whom nod. Hey, remember my life story? I was literally born with a different name. It took a while to find out who I was meant to be. It's totally normal. He turns to Shia. I love my life, and I needed to take the journey that I did. But there's a big part of me that's really jealous of
3: you. Of the fact that you knew what you were supposed to be doing. That it gave your life meaning for such a long time. took me 20 years to discover that. Same here.
0: Though I had a guide who showed me the way. He smiles. He's obviously referring to his wife, Hadassah,
2: who had introduced him to his current way of life. So you all know how terrible it feels not to feel that you are living up to your purpose, your potential, your full power. They nod. I felt so lost.
1: What changed?
2: May, 2021.
0: Shia didn't read the newspaper, He rarely listened to the radio, and he certainly never watched TV. But somehow, when something happened, everyone knew about it right away. He didn't know exactly how it started, only that it had. And that soon, violence seemed to be everywhere. He couldn't remember the last time he heard a siren calling him to a bomb shelter. He knew that the enemy to the south sent rockets and even incendiary balloons over the border with astonishing regularity and he knew that the enemy to the north was also rearing for a fight. But mostly, life in Jerusalem was peaceful. It was easy to forget that he lived in the most contested city on earth. But for a few tense, terrifying days, the enemy seemed to make it their mission to remind all Israelis of their presence. The rockets were terrifying, but they had nothing on the threat from within. It burned a synagogue in Lod last night. His father said one morning at breakfast, "'A synagogue burned in Eretz Israel." Shaya had never seen his father cry. But today, there were tears in his eyes. "'Yemach his mother said. Attacking a house of worship was an unspeakable crime. In his mind, Shaya saw the Torah scrolls burning, their velvet or silver cases melting in the heat. He felt physically ill. "'When is this going to be over?' asked his sister, Suri. Suri was only seven. She had been a baby during the last serious crisis, the horrible war of 2014, which started with the kidnapping of three teenage boys. They'd been around his age. Shia had gone with his entire family to pray for them at the Western Wall. There had been thousands of people there, Shia remembered, thousands. The boys had been murdered hours after they were kidnapped, but there had still been hope that night. And though Shia was only 15 at the time, he knew he would never forget the thrill of awe that went through him, looking around at the thousands of people who had turned up to plea for the boy's safe return. And now, seven years later, synagogues and religious schools and restaurants and shops were being torched. It didn't matter that Shia had never been to Lod. To Akko, to Ramla, Israel was burning. He felt each attack as though it had been directed at him. In a way, it was. The Jews of these mixed cities were being attacked because they were Jews, and all Jews were the same to rioters. Only luck separated Shia synagogue from the burned-out husk in Lod. His heart ached. He attacked his studies with a renewed vigor, his prayers with redoubled dedication, and for a while, he glowed with holy purpose. Without a shadow of a doubt, he knew that these prayers, this study, was keeping his nation safe.
1: Can you explain what you mean when you say that your prayers are keeping the nation safe?
2: Well, okay. You know the Iron Dome? It's the missile defense system that protects us against rockets. Well, we believe that studying and praying is also a defense system. They are the same kind of dome, and it protects the people of Israel just as much as the Iron Dome, you understand?
1: Uh, I mean, I get what you mean. I believe that you believe it.
0: I believe it because it's true. Right. The driver, who has been silent till now, snorts derisively at
4: this. (laughs) This is a very nice thought to say. Especially when you people don't put yourself in danger to protect our country.
0: Shocked, Emily looks from face to face, as though searching for someone who will help her defuse the tension. But oddly... Shia doesn't seem tense at all. He looks at the driver silently, and the driver seems to take this as a
4: cue to continue his rant. Don't talk to me about building a dome of protection. You don't put yourself in danger. You don't even study science, so you can't create anything useful to protect us either. Just imaginary prayers. My brother died to protect people like you. (laughs) It's disgusting. Hey, mate.
3: What's your name? Roy. Roy. I'm so sorry about your brother. I can't imagine your pain. He pauses, as though waiting for Roe to say something. But Roi just shrugs. I mean this with all the love and respect in the world, truly. Your brother's death isn't Shia's fault. You're taking your anger out on the wrong person. Roe shakes his head, clearly still seething.
0: But he doesn't say anything else. Until Shia turns to him, his voice
2: gentle. I'm very sorry about your brother. He pauses, but Rowie just grunts at him. But I also want to say something. Does every single person in the army serve on the front lines? He does not wait for an answer. Of course they don't. But do you look at a person who doesn't serve in a combat unit and tell them that they didn't sacrifice, that they didn't serve? Of course not. We all make sacrifices, but our sacrifices look different. Your brother's sacrifice was his life. And I am so, so... So sorry for that. But everyone who enters the army makes a sacrifice in some way. And people who do a year of service, sacrifice. And people who learn all day, sacrifice. All of us are working together for Klal Yisrael. Every single one. That's beautiful, mate. And I agree.
3: He turns to Roe. What do you think about that? Does that make you feel different?
0: Roe glowers, but he does seem to be considering the question seriously. He is okay. He gestures to Shia.
4: He is serving. But the rest of them, the ones who don't serve, they make me angry. I don't need their invisible protection. I need them to show that they're a part of this country.
1: What do you mean? Do you feel like Haredi people aren't a part of this country?
4: Of course not. They hate this state. They don't
0: want to be here. Shaya holds up his hands as though to say, Whoa there." Why are you talking for me? I'm right here. He raises his eyebrows at Roy, who has the grace to look at least a little ashamed. Have you ever met someone like me before? Have you ever even spoken to us? Roi snorts at him, the derision back on his face.
4: Why should I speak to someone who spits and throws stones at me? Hmm? Why should I speak to someone who tries to control every part of this country?
0: Shaya shakes his head.
4: For the first
2: time in the conversation, he sounds frustrated. Here's my problem. You want me to see you as your own person, right? You would be angry at me if I said, oh, all taxi drivers are like this, or all Mizrahim are like this, right? I'm not Mizrahi. Shaya gestures at him, his eyebrows raised. Did it bother you that I made that assumption about you? It's not
0: the same. Though he seems annoyed, some of the anger has gone out of his voice. He regards Shaya curiously, and Shaya, aware that he's being inspected, looks right
2: back. I am sorry someone threw stones at you or spit at you. That's disgusting. That's a khil Hashem. It's a desecration of God's name. I don't know anyone who would do a thing like that. Everyone I know would say that's wrong. But you admit it. People do things like that.
3: Mate, some people who live in Yehuda and Shamron set fire to Arab olive groves. Does that mean you think I do things like that? Some people lie and steal and cheat.
4: Does that mean all people do that? I understand your point. But I still think that when the majority of people like you don't try to integrate and don't serve in the army, there's a problem.
1: Um, can someone answer a question for the American?
4: They all turn to look at her.
1: I get that you're mad that more people from Shia's community don't serve in the army. But why do you say they don't integrate? Why do you say that they hate the state? I don't see that from Shia at all.
0: Shia is about to start speaking, but Roe cuts him off.
4: Tell me, Giver.
0: Are you a Zionist? He looks at Chaya as though challenging him to a duel. What's a Zionist? Noticing Roey's look of frustration, he clarifies.
2: It's a real question, because if you ask me, do I love this land? Do I cherish it? Do I think it's our birthright? Do I think it came from God? Do I feel spiritually connected to this land in a way I can't be connected anywhere else? If that's a Zionist, then I'm a Zionist. I love this land. It's it's like, like a power source. A, a spiritual one.
1: Um... Have you actually been anywhere else?
2: My parents are from America. We would go see my grandparents every other summer. And every other summer, they would come here.
1: That's why your English is so good. I was wondering.
2: So yes, I've been outside the country many times, and I have to tell you, there is no spiritual connection like this anywhere. But this answer doesn't seem to satisfy Roy, who presses further.
4: But what about the state of Israel? What do you think about the state?
2: Shia shrugs. The state, the flag, the army, the government... They're all things that man made. God made this land. God gave it to us. But the state, especially a state that doesn't follow Jewish laws, that I don't feel the same way about. See? I told you. They don't want to be
0: a part of this state. Shaya tries to protest, but Roe continues.
4: You know what would happen if there were no state? No flag, no government? The Arabs would kill you. That's what would happen. I didn't say I think there should be nothing here. If we could live peacefully
2: and if we could practice our religion without worry, I don't care who's in charge of the state. But I know we don't live in a perfect world, so we accept that there's a state and we're grateful for the security. I don't see what's so controversial about that.
1: It's a weird thought. What would this place be like without an official state?
4: I tell you what it would be like. Horrible. My grandparents and great-grandparents lived here then. We are six generations in Jerusalem. You know what my grandfather saw when he was a little kid? He saw slaughter, people murdered, his home ruined. We need this state for protection.
1: I mean, I have a lot of questions, but... Her
0: voice trails off before she can finish her thought,
2: and Shia fills the silence, directing his next words to Roe. I'm realistic. I know where we live. I understand why we need security. But you asked me what I believe, and I believe that we should have a Jewish state true Jewish state that follows Jewish laws. But until then, this is what we have. I serve in the army of the state. I wear the uniform. You can be part of a country and not agree with it, no?
1: Yeah, that's how I feel about the United States. Like, sometimes we fall short of the ideal, but that doesn't mean I'm not proud to be American. I love America. I just want it to be better. I want it to live up to its ideals.
2: Exactly, and a Jewish state should be Jewish.
1: But it is a Jewish state.
2: What makes a place Jewish?
1: (laughs) You like answering questions with more questions, huh? I feel like I'm getting a taste of my own medicine.
0: Shaya says nothing, still waiting for an answer. So, Emily sighs and tries to give him one.
1: (laughs) I don't know exactly what makes a state Jewish, but the calendar is Jewish. It sounds dumb, but all the stores sell donuts on Hanukkah, and that means something. Like, you know it's Hanukkah here. The way you know it's Christmas in the States.
2: Shia frowns. You say that this is like America. But is America Christian? Is a place religious just because it has some holidays?
1: Uh, But we're not talking about whether the state is religious. We're talking about whether it's Jewish.
2: Aren't those the same thing?
1: No. There's Jewish culture. You can be Jewish without being religious.
2: This is where we disagree. Without God, without halacha... The uh, laws of Judaism. You're experiencing only the wrapping, The style, not the substance. The thing itself, you understand?
1: I get what you're saying. I just disagree totally.
4: You want the whole country to be like you. Everything closed on Shabbat. Everyone keeping the laws the way he thinks they should.
2: How can you call it a Jewish state if you don't follow Jewish laws? This is an old question.
3: We're not going to answer it today.
1: Do you think this country should be a theocracy?
3: You know, I think about this a lot. And while I believe a lot of what Shire is saying, that there's no culture without religion, that culture itself isn't enough. I think ultimately a theocracy wouldn't work. There are enough theocracies in the world. We see how that's going. Remember, my community is mixed. It's not a problem for me at all.
4: I think we should all come to religion by choice. See, he is reasonable. I can agree with him. He isn't extreme. That's my problem. The extremes. It's good to be... In the middle. I believe in God very strongly, but I don't force it on anyone.
2: I'm not forcing anything on anyone.
1: I'm just telling you what I think. So, why go into the army? Presumably the army doesn't follow religious law. Why would you put yourself in the position to possibly be in a really non-religious environment?
3: You can be religious in the army.
2: They accommodate religious beliefs. There are even Haredi units. No. No? No. No. The whole concept of the army is anti-religious. They try to be religious-friendly. They get us special food. They give us time for Shabbat and Chagim, holidays. They have rabbis for us. They try. I appreciate that they try. But it's not a religious institution. Well, sure. It's not religious, but it's not hard to be religious in the army. That's what I'm saying. How do I explain this? The whole concept of the army, when you're in the army, what is the most important thing, eh? Who are you serving? Who is your God? It's the army itself. Your commander, your hierarchy, your structure, your fellow soldiers. You aren't putting God above everyone. You're putting everyone else above God. They ask you to do that. I don't think so at all.
3: If anything, you're serving God. Because you're helping to protect his people, his land. I thought it was a really profound religious experience.
1: If the army is inherently anti-religious, then why are you there?
2: This is a very good question. And my parents ask me this a lot. How can I do this? What am I looking for there? And I want you to know, I am not typical in my community. Not everyone feels the way I do. I want to make it very clear.
1: Yeah, I get it.
2: So you should also talk to other people. Because I see myself as Haredi. But I don't know if every Haredi person will see themselves in me. Okay. So... Now that I've made that very clear, here is my answer about why I went to the army. And it is the answer of Shia Silber and only of Shia Silber.
1: Yeah, I get it.
2: I wanted to make a difference that I could see. I believe in the protection we give. I believe that our learning and our prayer is powering our state. But I started to feel my learning, my prayer, it's not enough. I'm not using myself fully so I wanted to put myself somewhere I can use myself fully.
1: You may be the most noble person I've ever met.
0: Shia looks embarrassed, but Emily continues.
1: How old are you? 22? 23? are basically the same age, but you're, like, trying to find yourself by dedicating yourself to other people because you want to help them.
2: I have a lot to say about this, but first of all, I want you to know that there were selfish reasons too. Like... I thought about doing training for Atzale, you know, uh, medicine, ambulances.
1: You thought about being an EMT?
2: Yes, and I still think about it. It's
3: extremely important. There are also units in the army and other organizations who dedicate themselves to preserving the sanctity of dead bodies. What do you mean? Unfortunately, we live in a country where there are terror attacks, especially during the Second Intifada with all the bombings, but in Jewish law, a body has to be buried whole, or as whole as it can get. So... There are organizations that go around after a bombing to find all the... I'm sorry to say it like this, but all the pieces to make sure that the bodies can be buried with as much dignity as possible. Emily has her hand over her mouth. She looks nauseated.
1: People just volunteer to do that because they want to honor Jewish law?
2: Yes, they're amazing. They give so much. So when people say that we aren't integrated into society, I, I ask them to look around. Who is the natsole? Who performs marriages? Who is the Heber Who identifies bodies when they, God forbid, pass away in the army? We do. We do all of this and more. He isn't looking at Roy, but it's obvious that he's addressing him.
1: So, in the army you worked with, um, dead people?
2: No, I told you I was selfish. This was a task I didn't feel I could do. I am in a combat unit.
1: You couldn't deal with dead bodies, so you became a combat soldier.
2: Shaya shrugs. This was where I felt I could help.
1: I still don't see how you're being selfish.
2: Oh. Well, the army gives you good benefits. When I considered what to do with myself, it made it very easy to decide on the army because there are many benefits that I get, and those benefits will make my life better in the future. So you see, it's not purely noble.
1: What kind of benefits?
2: I went to religious school my whole life. One that didn't take money from the government. Because once you take money from the government, you have to do what they say. Okay. So we didn't learn everything that non-religious people learn. English, math, science, things like that. Obviously, English is not a problem for me. But most people I know don't speak English unless they have a parent who does. Or they speak it badly.
1: I'm still wrapping my mind around this. You never learned math?
2: Very basic, nothing complicated or advanced. But if you want a good job, you need more education.
1: I don't understand how people get jobs at all with only a religious education.
2: Well, some people go to schools that take money from the government and teach them math and science and these things, and some people don't work. They learn all day in the koilu. And some people have jobs like construction or being mashgiach, a person who makes sure that something is kosher. So there are options... But if you want a very good job where you can make a lot of money, education will help you. And I don't know if I want to study in yeshiva full-time. I, I don't think I am... I don't think my mind is is complicated enough.
1: Do most men in your community learn all day?
2: Many, many do. And they... I don't know what the word is. They excel. They, they do so well.
1: Thrive? Flourish?
2: Yes. So again... I am not the majority. I did not feel that I was thriving the same way they were. So for me, I want to have a job where I feel that I am thriving. I like this word, thriving.
1: So what do you want to do if not study Torah full time?
2: I thought about this a lot, and I'm still not sure. But I think I want to work in high tech, cybersecurity. This is going to be our next war.
1: Wow. Um, I thought your community doesn't use the internet, though.
2: It's okay if it's for a job. There are people who put Shurim, Torah lessons on YouTube. Don't believe everything you hear about my community. He smiles. It's a gentle reminder, but a reminder nonetheless.
3: And Nachi, beaming, steps into the conversation. I read something very cool about this. Have you ever seen a page of Talmud, Emily?
1: Can't say I have.
3: It's like an ancient version of a website. Lots of digressions, sidebars, links to other conversations or opinions. There's some evidence that shows that facility with Talmud is actually very helpful for computer scientists. There's lots of logic, inference, complex argumentation, things like that. So it's wrong to say that it's not a practical skill, or that it can't be transferred to a so-called practical field. Haredi students are some of the best
2: at computer science.
1: That's really cool. Are there a lot of Haredi people in, um, high tech?
2: Not a lot, but it's growing. There are more women than men, I think.
1: Wait, Haredi women are allowed to be educated?
2: What do you mean allowed?
1: Uh, I mean...
2: (laughs) She looks around as though looking for help. Shaya finally takes pity on her. Listen, our community would not be standing without women. Many women have more secular education than the men. Many times they are the ones who make the money because the men study, the women support them.
1: So why get a job if you can just marry a woman who works?
2: It helps to have two incomes, especially if one is high. Especially if you have many children, which God willing I will. But until then, I can also help my parents, my brothers and sisters.
1: I'm honestly really surprised to hear about the women being more educated than the men.
2: Educated in different things. But Judaism respects women. I don't know when it became the idea that we don't. We have, what's the expression, Uh, bad PR, but I keep telling you that we are a complex community. Don't believe the stereotypes.
1: Trust me, I'm working on it, but you're kind of blowing my mind here.
2: It's difficult to learn that the world isn't always what you thought it was.
1: Exactly. Is that how your parents felt when you told them you were enlisting?
2: I don't know, but I know that it wasn't an easy conversation.
0: "'Shaya, what are you talking about?' his mother asked again. "'What do you mean you think it's your purpose?' Shaya shrugged. "'Ima, I can't explain it better than that. I don't feel that I'm making progress in Yeshiva. I don't feel that I'm helping. And I want to do more. I have to.' "'But why there?' she wailed. "'Why, in a place full of... full of... What Ima is trying to say,' his father interrupted." is that there are many places where you can be helpful and make a difference, including places in your own community. Why go outside of it, especially to a place that doesn't respect you, that wants to... to replace your values with its values? I thought about it a lot, Chaya said, and it's practical. I can get a better education. I can get a job. Help support us. Help support a family. A family, his mother said, her hands flying to her face. What is this going to do for your prospects? You think a quality girl will agree to meet with you when she learns what you do? I think the right girl will understand," Shaya said defiantly. "And her parents? Will they understand what you're doing? You know, I'm not the only one who does this," Shaya said. "Look at Goldblum. Look at Weinstein. Blau's father served, and that was a long time ago when it was even harder." "I'm not looking at Goldblum or Weinstein or Blau," Shaya's mother said. "I'm looking at Silber." Shia Silber, and I think Shia Silber needs to think long and hard about this decision. I have thought about it, he said. I wouldn't do this if I wasn't completely sure that it was right for me. Let him do it, his father said suddenly. Shia's mother turned to him in surprise. Let him do it? Are you serious? Yes, let him. He says that learning isn't good for him anymore, that it doesn't fulfill him. I would rather he go to the army than become... God forbid you know what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. A guy who isn't serious, Shaya responded. There were boys like this in the Haredi community. Men who looked Haredi, who talked like they were Haredi, but who skipped their study sessions and used their smartphones for who knew what purpose and who cruised around Jerusalem or Tel Aviv in cars. Chaya was hurt that his father would consider for a second that he'd ever do a thing like that. I would never... Shaya started to say. "'I know,' his father said, holding up a hand. "'I'm not implying you would, but these things start slowly. "'So it's better to be somewhere where there is a lot of discipline, a lot of structure, "'somewhere you really want to be, and we'll be here when you return.'" Shaya hugged his father. "'Thank you for understanding,' he whispered. "'Oh, I don't understand.' Not at all, his father sighed, but you have to make your own choices, your own mistakes. Chaya hadn't expected this conversation to be easy, but he hadn't considered that a coldness would settle over his relationship with his parents, a distance he'd never felt before. He could see how hard it was for them to be in the same room as him, how even saying good morning or good night cost them dearly. He measured every interaction through the distance between them. It was a relief to leave home finally. To have the distance be physical. A physical distance you can understand, you can explain. But to be so distant from someone living in the same house, that was an emotion Shia never wanted to
2: feel again.
1: Is the distance still there?
2: Yes, I told you they don't speak to me. And I almost understand them. They miss the person I used to be, not the person I am now.
0: Across the shared taxi, Matan and Nahi nod fervently. And Emily frowns as though she's thinking over whether this also applies to her. But it's Matan who speaks.
4: I get it. I mean,
0: my parents have accepted me. They really have. But sometimes I see my dad looking at me like, is my son really in there? Like, he's hopeful that the old me is going to come out and say, just kidding. (laughs) He doesn't understand that there is no old me,
2: that I was always like this, always Jewish in my soul. But I think it's hard for a parent to let go of the image they have of their kid, the expectations.
1: I guess in some way my parents feel the same about me. Like, what am I doing here, taking a break from college, wandering around? What am I trying to accomplish? I think they don't really get it. You know? And they aren't disappointed exactly, but they're confused. I'm like, so am I, but I'm doing this to figure it out, and I don't think they get that. I don't think they get that I have to go through this experience to understand who I am. Does that make sense? Perfectly. So, is the army doing what you thought it would for you? Do you feel like you found more of a purpose? Like you're helping?
2: You know, What's nice about it is that I don't have the time to think about this question. I am tired all the time. It takes my time, my energy. But I think this is the path I am supposed to walk. This is what I am supposed to do even if I can't say exactly how it's changing me. It does make learning better. What do you mean? It feels like a luxury now to learn, to have time. Before it felt like something I had to do. And now it feels like something I am so lucky to do. I am so lucky to have the opportunity to learn. It doesn't happen often, not in a serious way, but it's such a pleasure when it does.
1: I'm really happy for you.
2: I want to say one more thing. One thing that I think is important, and then I have no more to say and you can talk to someone else. I'm ready. I want to say that the greatest thing you can do is also sometimes the most painful thing. That the things that are really worth it they come with sacrifice. And I feel right now that I am doing something worth it, something for me, something for Klal Yisrael, something even for all Haredim. You see, you look at me and you see that we're not all the same. We're all individuals. And if I can show you that I am a complex person, then maybe you and the rest of the world understands that we are all like this.
1: Okay. I- I think I get it.
2: What is the thing that gives you the most pleasure? The most joy?
1: Ice cream. Definitely.
2: Be serious.
1: I guess learning new things, understanding people, talking to people. That gives me a lot.
2: But does it make you scared sometimes? Nervous? Does it make you sometimes uncomfortable?
1: All the time.
2: But you do it anyway, because it's worth it. You understand that? What I'm doing, I do it because it's worth it to me and being religious, the pleasure I have from it, it's worth it. It's worth any sacrifice. You might look at me and say, why does he dress like that? Why does he keep Shabbat, eat kosher, wake up early to pray, stay up late to learn? All of these things, they are things that I sacrifice because the pleasure I have from Judaism, that is worth it. It's like raising kids. The inconvenience, the
3: mess, the tantrums, it's an investment. Nothing in my life has ever given me as much fulfillment, as much meaning, as much joy as my children. Other than my
2: marriage, which also takes a lot of work and sacrifice. Exactly. I haven't experienced either of those things. God willing, soon. But that's exactly it.
1: I get it. Happiness is complicated. Like people. Exactly.
0: She smiles. Shia blushes and looks away. Thank you. For what?
1: Sharing, talking, putting up with some assumptions. On my part and on other people's parts.
0: She is careful not to look
2: at Roe. But everyone knows who she's talking about. You're welcome. I hope it was helpful. I hope it gave you some clarity on
1: us. It did, sort of. And I don't really get it, but I appreciate it, you know?
2: It's okay. You don't have to get it. I don't have to get why you enjoy doing this thing you are doing, talking to random people. I would not enjoy it at all.
1: Yeah, different strokes, etc.
0: She turns to Rui, the
2: driver.
1: Um, speaking of, I'd actually really like to hear from you. If you want to. Is that okay?
4: It's okay. But I don't apologize for anything I say. (laughs) Noted. Okay, so... Where do you want me to start?
0: Thank you for listening to Episode 5 of Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel. Homeland is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked-related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. Follow Unpacked at all the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at jewishunpacked. And write to us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was written by Adi Elbaz and produced by Rifki Stern. Our team for this episode includes Adi Elbaz as Emily, Nati Rabinowitz as Shia, Eric Ransom as Nachi, Gideon Kimmel as Matan, and Cameron Nikad as Roe. Audio magic was produced by Rob Perra. I'm your narrator, Eli Schiff. Special thanks to Rabbi Yehuda Weinberg, Auroch Goldberg, Moriah Berman, Shaket Karabelnikov and the two additional sources who wish to remain anonymous. You know who you are. We literally couldn't have made this show without you. This show was made possible by support from the Coombe Family Foundation, the Crane-Mailing Foundation, the Adam and Gila Milstein Family Foundation, and the Skolnick Family Charitable Trust. Stay tuned for episode six, which tells Roey's family story of life in Jerusalem during the days of the British Mandate. Thank you.